My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Joe Cat, which many of you are probably familiar with. We talk about how he runs and preps games. There's a section about reflavoring existing classes and mechanics for your characters. And we talk a little bit about making your own world and getting player feedback and some tips for both new and old DMs. And there's a bunch of other little topics that are in there as well. And we finish up the episode with a couple fun little discussion questions. So I hope you look forward to that. If you're interested in helping out the show, don't forget to like, comment, and share the episodes. Contact me if you or a DM you know would like to be on the show. Use any of the affiliate links in the show notes. Or support me over on Patreon or buy me a coffee. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome everybody. Today I have Joe Cat with me. Welcome Joe Cat. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the tabletop role-playing space? No. Yeah, just kidding. I, <laughs> uh, yes, I, uh, I go by Joe Cat online. Uh, my full name is Joseph Catalanello. It is shortened to Joe Cat because that's easier to say. And I am a mostly YouTube content creator. Um, one of my most primary uh, successful, prominent uh series is called the crap guide series it started out with crap guide to monster hunter then crap guide to DD, and now currently crap guide to monster monster no sorry crap guide to final fantasy 14 um however i do a variety of other things as well i do general editing videos and i've been leaning more into animation as well i like to consider myself an animator and artist and uh, i'm really enjoying doing more of that uh, as the crap guides start to come to a close but yeah i think crap guide to DD is the one that most people know me from that is definitely where I found you from, and it's really easy to binge watch all of those crap guides. Oh, thanks. But yeah, I, I make content online. Sometimes I'm funny. Sometimes I say th- a lot of philosophical stuff on Twitter where I shouldn't, not because they're bad or anything, but because Twitter is not a place with enough characters to convey certain ideas. So people tend to misinterpret them. <laughs> Uh, Twitter misinterpreting things is a pretty common experience. All the time. All the time. But yeah, I I do stuff. What uh, what got you into D&D? Uh, yeah, so it was back when um, my first year at college, uh, me and some um, of my friends, I will call them the hijack crew. It's uh, Heather, Ian, me, Joe, uh, Eric, and Kate. We're friends ever since high school. And uh, most of us went to the same college. Kate was a year behind, so she was still in high school when we were in college. But our first year, we went out just at the end of the year to walk around some woods and just chat. And uh, the idea came up of, hey, if you were a D&D character, what kind of character would you be? And we were discussing and we were like, hey, you know, we'd heard a lot about D&D. Let's play it. So that summer, we played D&D and I was hooked immediately. And um, uh, t- tangentially, I also loved Monster Hunter. And so I just wanted to kind of get my friends in on monster hunter so i made a guide series specifically for them it wasn't like to gain an audience an audience just happened to find it and then i was like i want to do the same for DD. i want to teach not only my friends but also people how to play these different DD classes and stuff because i know like some of my friends i don't know i want them to kind of go outside their comfort zone sometimes so the the DD crap guides are kind of a an excuse to convince them by trying to make some of the classes look cool and looking back on them now i'm like some of them I would redo. They're dated and not up to the quality uh, standard that I have now, but I'm still happy that they are there and I wouldn't want to remake them because then I would re- remake all of them. Um, and when you started D&D, did you start as a player or as a DM? Oh, player, absolutely. I was too intimidated and too scared to do anything DM-wise. Uh, credit to Ian for stepping up to the DM plate because he was the only one who did play D&D Uh among the rest of us so he was willing to be the dm and of course he and and all of us we were stumbling through we didn't know what we were doing but we were having fun it was it was very fun and my first character was very much a pseudo self-insert much as i would have insisted at the time that he wasn't but i think a lot of us like input a lot of ourselves into our first characters yeah i definitely could see that with my first character as well Mm -hmm. um what what's the class what was your class for your first? Oh, 
I had a skewed idea of what a rogue and a bard was. Um, because I, I thought charisma was a viable skill for rogue, and it is. You know, D&D is open enough that you can play any class with any build, essentially. Um, but I thought the rogue was the smooth talker, you know, and all that stuff. And as time went on, I was like, no, Bard is the one that really, you know, like uh, calls to my heart. But I, I did make a rogue uh, that played a lot like a bard. And, you know, he, he had a musical instrument and he had an entertainer background and he, he danced a lot. He was a circus tumbler. Um, and then after I, I played a bard as my second character, Storig, that I uh, really, really out there compared to what I was used to at the time, I was like, this, this feels right. So from then on, I just, I love bards. Um, and I should clarify, is this 5th edition that you started with, or was it a different edition yes, of D&D? Yes, it is 5th edition. edition. I'm not familiar with other editions of D&D, although I have played Pathfinder once or twice, um, I and 4th edition once, and that was a mess. But uh, no, 5th edition is my home, and I'm happy with it. It seems like most of the people that I talk to either came in on 5th edition, or that's at least the current edition that they play. Yeah, so, it, a lot of people have come in on it. Yeah, it, it's... I don't know if this is giving it too much credit, but I I like to believe it's responsible for the big boom of D&D popularity right now. It's kind of in a golden age right now, and like I think the, the simplicity and approachability of 5e has a lot to do with that. Um, I am noticing a lot of... Uh, uh, some cracks with 5th edition, uh, mostly when it comes to kind of character creation uh other than the warlock a lot of the characters that i make like just feels very all right uh copy and paste these features and not too much customization aside from feats which is why i like to give players one free feat when they make a character when i dm but really that's the only thing um it's very streamlined and easy to understand uh and i think that's a, a good reason why so many people are easy to uh, approach it to the point where i taught my like nine-year-old niece how to play <laughs> and i am seriously considering teaching my my parents who are getting up and up there in like the 60s 70s um how to play and i think they might enjoy it I, i've debated on introducing it to my family and i'm not sure i'm not 100 percent sure how that would go um <laughs> i know uh my sister is really into it as well um with me uh, she's one of the main people that plays with me, but and our parents are always like, "Oh, they're going to go do their like D and D thing," but they've never really expressed much interest outside of that. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not they, sure. they think it's oh, it's a weird like board game thing, right? And it's like, yeah, it. Which I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. It does look like weird board game stuff, and when it was around in like the 80s and 70s, it's just like you hear that it's the nerd hobby. Yeah, I think nerd culture has definitely expanded. <laughs> yeah, they're in charge now. Video games are mainstream. The Marvel movies are one of the highest grossing intellectual properties ever. Geek Feel culture is in. It's it's a it's a good time to be a nerd, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good time. Uh so you did mention that you do some DMing. How frequently do you DM? Um, it's like 50-50 um between DMing and player. Uh I do not consume DD as much as people would think I do. Be I think because I don't have the same D&D stamina that my peers do in the content creation um, of D&D content creators. You know, people like Davi, Davi Chappie, uh, XP to level three, RuneSmith. Like, these are, especially when I the first D&D Direct happened, like, how much more knowledge and trivia they, they had of all this D&D content. I just felt like such a casual in comparison. I'm like, I've heard that name before. I don't know what that book is. And they were discussing it like they discuss football players and their statistics and, and you know, being drafted in the NFL. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, sure. So I, I play pretty casually. I'm only ever in like one game at a time. I think that's my limit is two. Uh, whether it be DMing or playing, uh, because at, at that amount, I just feel exhausted. I'm one of those people who, like, I can do one thing a day and then I'm done. Um, but uh, I think I do prefer DMing more than playing, but it could just be that I haven't found my, like, perfect DM yet. Like, uh, I, I because the games I DM are the games that I wish I could play. Um, and not to discredit any of the, my DMs, uh, they're dear friends of mine, but, like, you know, they are not nearly the the same type of 
games that I DM, which there's nothing wrong with. I, I still highly enjoy them, but I do have wish like I could find someone who DM'd like I DM'd because I DM the games that I would like to play. No, I think that's a fair that's a fair statement because there are things that uh that I would do when I run games. I tend to be open to like homebrew and like having people come up with with stuff. Yeah. Um and I know for a lot of people that's just like not their thing. So then if I play in games that are like really restricted, then I it doesn't feel as good to me. And then I always try to play open. Um what so so based on that, what is your style uh, of DMing and or the game that you would like to play in? Mm, I would like something significant to happen every session. Uh, just like one thing, very minimal guff, very minimal meandering. I am uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is when you go talk to an NPC and they tell you to go talk to someone else. <laughs> that is the most frustrating thing for me. So I try to DM with the the most minimal amount of that as possible and if I can get like can I write this in a way where you can you only have to talk to one NPC to get the information to get the plot rolling? If yes, absolutely do that. Like that's what I do. I'm not saying that that's the best way or that everyone should do it. That's just the way that I like things because I like things moving. I like things going along. That's not to say I don't like slow pace. I like slow pace stories. I I like nicely paced stories, but like I get bored when I'm talking to NPCs too much, especially if it's information I already know or like like um what is it what is the term whenever process of elimination i i get bored easily whenever it's like searching for clues and like well this npc didn't know anything so that crosses that one off the list you know and it's maybe maybe it's just a run of bad luck that i've <laughs> bad luck uh, again no disrespect to the dms who who run games for me dming is a very difficult and not not at all easy but um maybe it's just that's just a style that a lot of people do. And maybe it's just a me problem that I'm not able to hold my attention for so long for this to happen so frequently. But yeah, I like to keep things moving along. I like to have the goal set out at the beginning. So there's an overall kind of overarching like plan from the very beginning. So I always have no like, okay, I know what we're doing. These are all just additional things that are kind of assisting in that one main quest um i like uh visuals i really like visual stuff i i can do theater of the mind but i much prefer having something visual especially with npcs i like this to um, see who i'm talking to and stuff like that um and i like easier games i i, I realize i think i'm more in it for the story uh, i think a, a younger me would have said that I am 50-50 on combat and story. And I think in some ways I still am, but I definitely lean story. Um, and I discovered this after I played a Darkest Dungeon campaign that was run by Blaine Silver. Blaine Simple? Blaine Simple. Um, and it was so stressful. Again, nothing wrong with this type <laughs> of game, but like we were constantly... It, every encounter, whether it be combat or otherwise, because there were non-combat encounters, would be an uphill battle, uh short resting would mean we would get levels of exhaustion uh, we would constantly be poisoned and have disadvantage on everything and i just wasn't enjoying it um so i think i i like a kind of easing off that stuff sure challenge me for, um and and i will challenge the players but i like to give them a chance to win you know give them some mercy uh, that definitely sounds like Darkest Dungeon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Uh, that's why, I, like, this is what I signed up for. But, uh, you know, you never know until you actually do it. But, yeah, it, it wasn't for me, uh, I realize, especially with how much slower D&D is compared to a video game. So it just felt a lot slower. And I think that compounded with my need for something significant to be up to, to the feel of a sense of accomplishment and forward progression, which sometimes darkest dungeon doesn't allow because of how difficult it is right when you say like you want something to happen you're talking like there needs to be like a major story beat happening yes or, or i mean even a minor story beat. just just something is progressing yes or at least a change of environment i ran a game um necrohunt which uh is on my youtube hey i get to plug hey watch uh Belkinus necrohunt to see how i dm um and i made sure that every session 
uh, took place in a different, either a different location or had the players doing something different than the last session, right? So it wouldn't have a lot of continuation. Like, of course, it builds upon the previous session, but it's not like they weren't able to finish this thing last session, so they will continue to do it this session and all throughout, and then the next session. It's like, no. If they weren't able to finish it last session, uh, depending on how long they did it, like, let's say they were working on it, like, the majority of last session, I'll try to get it wrapped up at the beginning of the session as soon as possible so that they don't have to keep, like staying on that plot point for for long they can just move on to the next thing um maybe that sounds impatient but i just prefer to keep the pace up and make e each session feel unique and that something different happens yeah i i think as far as like engagement goes that would be good in keeping players engaged and, yeah. and like you said not getting bored and stuff mm -hmm. um I almost the kind of my style is almost running each individual session more as a one shot. So mm. kind of the same idea, right? Like, okay, we have this thing we're gonna do, we're gonna go, we're gonna do it. And then, you know, you can have like downtime and stuff after that, kind of between you know, almost like missions almost, but kind of try to try to get everything wrapped up, kind of like what you're yeah. saying here. I, I think that's probably a good way to look at it. Um and, and I think for me, it just because long-term campaigns for me tend to tend to fizzle rather yes. quickly. Oh my gosh! So it's like I'm just gonna we're just gonna do it a one shot, and if we get another one shot with the same characters in, you know, the next time, and we get to advance, that's yeah, great. you make it you make it like an anthology series, right? And if it if it doesn't happen, then it's like, well, we still at least got to finish, yeah, you know, the first that's one so that we did. That's another thing that I prefer to play and also run is games with a clear ending. Is like like I could not. Um, I don't think I would be able to handle running or playing in a game. One of those games that go on for like a hundred session. Like that's that's too much. Even fifty is pushing it. Like I, my sweet spot is twenty to thirty. Like that's that's good for me. And I don't want any cliffhangers. I want the story wrapped up. I want it nice and 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 independent without the need for like oh next time you know like i i'm okay with that i feel like that's a nice amount these characters are done maybe i might reuse them for another campaign but this story is done i don't want it to meander and go on forever you know some people do like those games they want to have their characters and just like continue forever and play with them forever but not for me i i need to see where the end is and see where the end is coming you know it's like like when I go to a movie, I, I want to know the movie is two hours long. So I'm like, okay, so there's going to be an end. You know, I don't want to be surprised at how long it is. That's why I don't play so many games because I don't know how long they are. And I go to howlongtobeat.com so I can be like, okay, so it's going to take me about this long. That's good. You know, um, yeah. And then, so so you mentioned the movie thing. The movies are kind of like that one shot analogy, right? Where it's yeah. like you go see the first Doctor Strange movie. And it's that, you know, there's a clear ending. And then, you know, Doctor Strange 2 came out and you can go watch that one. And you just just all wrapped up in a nice little uh, nice little package. Yeah. And you're good to go. I think that's great. And um, I might want to try doing that some someday, like have a quote unquote definitive character that and, and just like a uh anthology series kind of like those saturday morning tv shows where there's no overarching plot there's no overarching story that's leading to an end it's just like an episode of say spongebob and what is what shenanigans is he gonna get up to today it's not it's not gonna have anything to do with the previous episode but it's gonna be fun you know that is that's does sound interesting and uh i might want to try that one day but uh sometimes the um the genre that you're in can can change that too um, I know that the Star Wars games, um, if you're into that, those tend to be a little bit more episodic and more one shoddy because you can just kind of like, you know, warp to another yeah. part of the galaxy and get into trouble. And you can have kind of like long term uh, campaign, you know, plot problems that are happening in the background. But then you can just like, oh, this session we're going to, you know, detour because the ship's broken and now you got to go do this thing or whatever. Yeah. So I think that doesn't necessarily always hold up as well in a fantasy setting. I think things are a little bit more continual in, in fantasy because you can't just jump around all over the place um, unless you have portals or something. So there's an idea. <laughs> um, so with your DMing, you said you have a uh, like 20 to 30 session limit. Um, do you ever get bored of playing the same character 
in a campaign? Um, I guess it depends on the character because I'm I'm not going to know how much I'll enjoy the character until I play, and it's highly dependent. Sometimes it's not the character itself. Sometimes it depends on the players I'm playing with and the game that I'm in. Um, I haven't reused many characters, uh, but I'm sure some of them that I wasn't feeling, I'm sure if I did them again in a different game with different players, I might have a different experience and different opinion. Who knows? Um, but definitely in cases where like, I was just not feeling the character, I do get bored, but um, I'm going to have a lot of trouble feeling bored about um, like my, uh, currently I'm playing a goblin bard in uh, one game called Dan Jones and Dragons, run by the wonderful Dan Jones, who's an artist um, and streamer on Twitch. And I'm just having a lot of fun, but I think a lot of that is lent to the game is fitting with the style that I'm into and the players and characters that I'm with are fun too. And I'm loving, like, that we click immediately. And I, that's, an, that's another thing is like finding a group that clicks is kind of like once in a blue moon because uh, even even some good friends sometimes good friends don't make good players and there's nothing wrong with that it's not a personal attack it's just you know people play D differently it's like some people maybe your friend likes strawberries and you don't and uh unfortunately there's only one cake and uh <laughs> dividing the frosting can be very difficult so yeah that's a that's a good analogy have you played much outside of D D, or is that kind of your main yeah, no, just D&D. And I know like a lot of <laughs> tabletop enthusiasts will be like, oh, you should expand your horizons. But I don't know, I'm satisfied with d and I don't, I, I still have so much to learn about 5e that I'm still messing up rules to this day. And I, I, I don't want to, I'm already so invested and I have so many things in it. Part of it's sunk cost, but also like I spent so much time learning this system. I don't, I don't want to learn another one when I could just reflavor this one, you know, like this one works fine. I like how it works and it's simple how it works and I understand it. Uh, I, I might try another system that's very similar, like another edition of D and D or Pathfinder, but like world of darkness or like, uh, I don't know, um, Pathfinder. Well, maybe Pathfinder I'll try out, but like, Things that are like completely, totally different. I'm like, eh, I'll stick with D&D. Maybe that makes me close-minded, but I'm satisfied with it. It's not like I'm wanting for for a new experience. No, I was just going to say, I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, I know a lot of people that have come on the show have suggested, and I even suggested to uh, either play other, other types of tabletop games and or at least just go read some of them just to see, uh, to get ideas as a DM. Um, yeah, and but a lot of that is if you're satisfied with what D and D Fifth Edition does, then there's really no reason to or no need for you to to look elsewhere, right? Yeah. If there are if there are certain things like um, heist mechanics and stuff comes up every once in a while. If you want a good heist game, check out Blades in the Dark. Um, mm-hmm. But if you can do heists, if you're good with that, with how D and D does it, then then you're you're all set right you don't need to go go learn other stuff so yeah and i get where the recommendation comes from as well even davy uh davy chappy makes the recommendation of like when you're home brewing and adjusting D so much that it's an unrecognizable game why not just look for a game that does that better rather than you know trying to like patchwork together some kind of weird amalgamation uh which i understand and i think that's totally valid as well but um yeah i i'm not doing that so <laughs> so i i don't feel the need um i'm i'm happy with D. i'm happy with this medieval fantasy setting uh which i could easily reflavor as well i feel like reflavoring doesn't require all that much changing of mechanics wise um but even that i don't feel the need to i'm happy with my dungeons and dragons i'm always interested in the idea of reflavoring classes or abilities or something to just be uh mechanically the same no alterations just like how it's described or how you view it um yeah i I think is really because there's because there's so much there in the official material thinking back now like uh, me and my friends we were doing homebrew and like homebrew classes when like looking at back now it's like those classes exist in the mechanics of the game already like uh one friend wanted to be a battle mage so they looked up a battle mage class on like the D &D homebrew homebrew wiki but like you could just do uh, war war mage, or like multi class fighter uh, wizard, 
or you could like go Eldritch Knight, you know, or any other number of uh, archetypes that they had at the time, you know, like that function essentially give the experience of a battle mage and and also me with like i went rogue swashbuckler uh and this was a couple of years ago before swashbuckler was official it was still <laughs> unearthed arcana so like it was still in the works and it, it was janky and felt weird to play but like really what i was actually looking for was for was a bard you know like all it takes is knowledge of the game and the mechanics and you can kind of fine-tune your experience because how much is there um, are there any other like classes or anything that you would like to play, but as having been reflavored? Um, I mean, I reflavor classes all the time. Like, uh, I although they do play on the actual class. Like, I've I've been thinking of doing like a a kind of big brawler kind of usher slash bouncer style monk that they they don't study at a monastery or anything they weren't taught by monks at a temple they just they're just a street brawler but using the monk class as a basis to sh- to build upon that unarmed combat skill right uh or like uh, uh Davy's the king of this Davy made a a sailor uh a a magical sailor who uses uh, the stars to chart his course and uses magic to use to push the wind to propel his sails? I want you to guess what class he played. Uh, it reminds me of the druid, the new one, the star druid or whatever. Yep, he played a druid, a druid pirate. He his um, wild shape did not take the form of uh, an animal. And although yes, the archetype does specifically say it turns you into stars, but. I wouldn't have thought a druid swashbuckling pirate, you know, but he just used it as a basis for the mechanics rather than the flavor. And I think that that is fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I think for me, one of the ones barbarian has never called to me as a mostly as a role playing class. Um, But I think if I reflavored them as like a monk and their rage and stuff is like a zen or like battle mode or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I played it that way, I think I could get into playing a barbarian but i don't know if i like i just not interested in them as they're like currently written and i don't know i don't know why that is for me but that's just one that stands out like that yeah no understandable uh me as well i don't know i'm the same way barbarian has never caught my eye (laughs) i think just because it's such a straightforward not boring but just like a like you you get what it is you you get what you sign up for it it is what it says on the tin it's a barbarian like it's not all that complicated so is Bard by far your favorite class to play? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to the point where I, I, I don't put much weight on uh, <laughs> identifying with media, like m- using uh, entertainment media as part of one's identity, but I do feel like a Bard as well. Like Bard just speaks to me on an emotional level, um, not only in function, but also just like, I don't know. If I were a D&D class, I would like to be a bard. You know, that sounds fun. Fair enough. And the idea of a jack-of-all-trades that, like, has a little bit up their sleeve, uh, like, has a little bit of power tucked up their sleeve of of knowledge of everyone, you know? The fact that the bard is a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, because they dip their toe in a little bit of everything. That, that, That I always like that thematically. I do feel like the bard is a pretty good class if you want to do like if there's something that the rules don't do super well you can probably make a bard do it yeah um i've looked at their because like they have a pretty decent spell list and they've got a lot of kind of not necessarily generic abilities but they're just generically good yeah for the most part which you could use in or reflavor to pretty much any scenario that you want i would argue that bards have the best spell list because of magical secrets Therefore, they can have any spell they want, which means they could have combinations that were probably never meant to be. And, and I think that's where some a lot of that flexibility comes in and where I've looked at them as for doing certain builds because, like you said, you can just be like, oh, well, I need like most of these spells that are already on the list, and then I'll just grab these couple that just really make yeah. the build the rest of the way. Yeah, you get it. I, I really like to read rule books for some reason, so... <laughs> Yeah, it gives you ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people will be like, oh, well, you could just pick the magical initiate feat. And yeah, that's true. But it's like, it's not the same. It's not inherent, right? Like anyone could pick feats. But the bard, it's like, it's part of the bard's kit, which I think is very cool. <laughs> um, 
So for going back a little bit to uh, running games, um, how do you tend to prep for sessions? Ah, yes, you asked that, and I didn't answer. Um, so prepping, I usually like to write out a layout, kind of general bullet points of interest for that session. So I'll do what I call landmarks. They don't necessarily always have to be landmarks, but just like chapters in this session. Like uh, there's a store and maybe there's someone in the store that could use some ingredients and there's a conspiracy going on. Or maybe there's this other NPC that is struggling to find their uh, pupil. They're like a wizard in a wizard's tower and they want to bring back their pupil to help them with the wizarding because they need to help people and heal them and assist with their problems. But then the student has to... I don't know, the student is is arguing that they don't want to help because they never got the choice to live their own life. And so what if a few people die? They never got the chance to have their own freedom, you know, like, and throw those in, maybe tie it into the main plot. Um, and sometimes I'll write, like, individual, like, sentences, like, pre-written stuff because I'm bad at improv sometimes. Um, but I will write out... Uh, a general layout of these characters and what they believe so that when that improv comes up, I know what to say, even if I'm bad at saying it. So I don't have to spend much time thinking. I want to spend as little time thinking as possible in my session. Um, that is not to say that I over-prepare, uh, which itself is like a subjective, what is over-preparing? You know, everybody has a different definition. But I won't prepare every possible dialogue interaction, you know, for example. But I will prepare, like okay, this NPC has this motivation and this backstory and this belief and ideal. And that can usually answer a lot of questions when it comes to improv, uh, whenever the players are like interacting with them, because I keep those things in mind. And then I can always kind of remember, okay, what would they say in this scenario? Well, think back on what their ideals are and then just use that. Um, but uh, yeah, usually I can anticipate some of what my players might do or like what might go down and I can write around that. But most of the time I'm just like bullet points, ideals of these characters and um, landmarks. Sure. So it's how long does it take you to prep that? Oh, sometimes a long time when I can't figure out what I want this area to have in terms of culture and people. Sure. Um, in that sense, that pre-prep, like prepping before the campaign even starts, that one takes a long time because I want to have a solid idea of what this world is. And I think there's no way to over-prepare that because knowing a solid foundation of your world will go a long way in making it feel real and immersive. Uh, of course, you know, don't over-prepare individual sessions, but I think you cannot over-prepare the world. Of course, I think you can over-explain the world. Not all information is important to the players. You don't have to explain the creation myth and the, the long-forgotten relics of this person's ancestors. It's like, think about what they would say as a person, you know, and just what is relevant in the situation. You can have those things in mind, but just what is relevant at the time. Uh, so pre-campaign, lots of prep. Session to session, a medium amount of prep. Um, so do you tend to, like, when you're going to start a campaign, do you tend to do just a homebrew, like, world and everything then? Yes. Uh, I've never had a consistent world that I return to. It's always just kind of been a mishmash and vaguely D&D &D setting. I've never done official Forgotten Realms. I've never stuck by the books just because I just want my own ideas for the world. And so it's malleable and fits the story that I'm trying to tell. But currently, I have a world called the Lustrous Expanse name still a work in progress but i'm currently working on another region because that's where uh the lustrous expanse is where balconist necrohunt takes place so now i'm working on another region of the continent um that has nothing to do with necrohunt mostly it might be referenced here and there but like the players are not going to have to know the previous campaign or anything about the world because i'm going to try and present it to them kind of like a movie where it's presented to the audience as well at the same time it's like being presented for the first time but in a way that feels natural that normal people would speak i guess um that even the character like things would be explained to the players if the characters also wouldn't know right um Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would prep it. I would make a map. I would prep some maybe generic NPC portraits so that if they talk to an NPC, I can just pull up, oh, you run into a dwarf and I'll pull up, I don't know, dwarf portrait five and like 
and their name is, and then look from a list, uh, Jeanette. And uh, I'll just pull from the pre-written NPC motivation stuff. And yeah, and have some background images as well to to give them an idea of the setting there in like a city or a forest or a grassy plains, stuff like that. Visual. I'm a visual person. I I definitely in games, especially online games, if there's even just a just a generic, you know, photo that's been pulled from Google from somewhere. It works. Uh, just a just even a background, like you said, just general landscape. That it just gives you something to focus on. Yeah. And not like it kind of helps to not be like, oh, now I'm just gonna go read from my phone for a little bit while I, you know. Yeah. Um Yeah, I have that problem as well. Uh and I'm guessing you play online mostly. Yeah, mostly, which is a shame because not to brag, but a lot of um D D supplementary companies have reached out to me and given me such generous gifts and products and discounts and things to to advertise but i'm like i can never use any of this because it's all physical and we're in a pandemic <laughs> and my friends are in different states so i i just kind of run it online on roll 20 and dnd beyond okay yeah that was because i want to use all my phys- i have so many minis and dice and and dm supplies I, I was in the same boat of kind of before the pandemic. I was slowly gathering up like, oh, I need some minis. So I got some board games that had a bunch of minis and stuff and working on painting them. And then it's like, okay, probably not going to get to pull those out anymore. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that you can do online as well. It's just the physical stuff oh, yeah. is so much fun. It's a different experience. Like, it, I, it's not better or worse, in my opinion. It's just a such a different vibe and feel. And there's different things that you got to do. Like, like I had to, whenever I ran Necrohunt for my for the Hijack crew, because it's a campaign that I've run many times before and it's gone through many iterations, I had to print out the map in like, because normally it's online, it's not a big deal. I just make the map. And I realized how much I designed the game around the fact that it's online. Like so many things wouldn't work uh, in a physical game, like the map, like dynamically changing, which I guess I could get like, I don't know map minis like those figures with like walls and stuff and knock them over but that is so expensive um but i couldn't be able to do things like uh i don't know just just stuff that you can do digitally that you can't like a fog of war system you have the whole moving through and having the the uh line of sight and and, kind um, of i did i did like a janky I did like a janky manual version where I would draw a square and color it in <laughs> and like cover the map that way. And that's how I did it uh, in real life is like I had a second sheet of paper cut up into different segments and then I would because it would cover the map so they couldn't see it and I would lift it up when it became relevant. But it's like it's not the same. You, you really got to treat each one as its own individual like almost unique way of playing D&D. Not even almost. It is a different unique way of playing D&D. Uh, digital versus physical so you have to account for that yeah i like that you say that it's it's different because it's it is really almost hard to it's easy to want to compare them to say oh in person is better or you know online is better and and really they do both both do things better than the other one it just kind of depends on on what you need um obviously the you know same as me the people that I play with are not even remotely close to me. So um, that makes uh, uh, tabletop games pretty difficult, you know, physical. (laughs) So there are, uh, and there's a lot of tools for online stuff and there's a lot of really cool physical stuff you can get too. So Um, when you're running games, um, I know you like to have like a thing happen every session. Does that mean that your games tend to be more, I don't want to necessarily say like railroady, but more kind of focused on the story. Or is there still some sandbox elements there? How does that? Look yeah, I would I would say railroad isn't the wrong word to use. I feel like that's a taboo word that we're scared of using. It's like, oh no, it's a railroad. But I don't see anything wrong with a railroad. You know, it 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 gives you a direction to go, so you don't meander for too long. Because that's one thing that I also don't like is sometimes when, you know, when I'm a player, at least I'm like okay, what are we supposed to do? I guess talk with everyone or like look around. Um, I don't know. When I meander too much, I feel bored. 
So I'm okay with railroading, although I do like to have the railroad branch or like have several stops. You know, they can make stops、uh, mid railroad to do a side quest for a character that might, you know,、uh, like the example that I gave about the wizard,、um, the wizard tower and the wizard looking for their pupil. Like I like having side quests available for the players that.、Um, Maybe don't progress the story, but allow them to figure out ideas about their character, you know. Or maybe just a cool encounter or something quirky, like oh,、uh, you could go,、uh, you stumble upon, you know, while they're on the railroad, they stumble upon a quote-unquote random encounter that maybe doesn't have anything to do with the main plot, but it's just fun, like a a, a British speaking Edercap that's looking for his spiders, and his name is Bartholomew the Seventh, and he's like, oh, hello. I'm an etikap. I'm looking for my spiders. Have you seen them anywhere? I would be able to pay you very well. And it's like, that's weird and cool and wacky <laughs> and like a talking etikap, you know? I love it. But yeah, yeah so I, I, I yeah, my my games are more railroady. I think I'm my next game is gonna be slightly more open, but it's still you know demanding the players to go do a thing primarily.、Um, yeah, I I don't know that there's any game. Really, where you just drop in and are like, "Okay, you guys are here and you exist. What do you want to do?" Like, there has to be some kind of a、uh, an event that happens, or something、mm-hmm. in the story happens that kind of brings your players together or to ur-、uh, urges them to action in yeah, some、exactly. way. So,、um, I know my wife, for example, she she also likes things to be fairly railroaded. She doesn't like to not know where she's going. Right? She yeah. Just, I, I want to know what the story is and what we're working on, and then if we need to, you know, branch off a little bit during the game, that's great. But otherwise, like, what, where's the next thing that we? Where's the next story thing we go to?、Um, do you have advice for new dungeon masters? Oh man, that's a broad question. Do you have any specifics?、Uh, nope. <laughs> All right, great.、Um... Whatever you want. New so new dungeon masters are usually people who have never dungeon mastered, and I would say the first step is doing it. And if you're doing it, then that's already way more. You're you're gonna learn way more from experience than any amount of me telling you what to do can be.、Uh, aside from what I've already said, like prep the world a lot, prep the sessions a little. But even that has its nuance, you know. Like、um, Ginny D made a fantastic video about the. Don't over prepare.、Uh, advice doesn't work for everyone, and also, what does that mean? You know, like what is how much over, how much preparing is over preparing? It's going to differ from person to person.、Um, so the best thing I can say is just practice and feel it out. DM lots of games, try things out,、uh, m- listen to your players' feedback. Like e- even push them. Players, especially new players, are scared of giving feedback because they're like, "Oh, you put so much work into it, and you know it's good, it's fine." But like. Push them. Be like, no, no, no. Tell me, tell me anything that you might have wished happened, or or might have been different, or or felt slow, or things like that. Because that's what I do. After every session, I ask my players, "What do you think?、Uh, what what could have been done better?"、Um, sometimes they'll have nothing for me, and sometimes they'll be like,、ah, "I kind of got bored of that part." And like, accept it. Don't don't make excuses.、Uh, don't even let your players make excuses for you. Of like, oh no, but but that's realistic, and that's what fits this scenario. No, no, no. If they weren't having fun, or or a part could be better, like then it could be better. And apply it. Apply that thought into future sessions, because that's going to help you improve. I like the idea of pushing、uh, players for feedback a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. I've、um, played in a couple and and. Like you said, sometimes it's like, oh, what, what's the feedback? It's like, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> and, and a lot of times they will silently just kind of lose interest in the game because they're they do have thoughts on it, but they're scared to upset you. But like, you have to make it clear that it's not going to upset you, that you're still their friend, and this is for them as well. It's not just for you. Running the game, being a DM, running the game is partly for you, but it's also for them. You know. the the old adage you know if if you're gonna run a D and D game and your players and、uh, engagement is not important then you're better off writing a book right yeah yeah that's fair because players are half the part of D and D if they're getting in the way of what you want to do then write a book where you have full control over everything you know and then you can have them read it <laughs> if you want someone to witness <laughs> your your might and and amazing writing skills. 
Um, yeah. Do you have advice for veteran DMs? Veteran DMs. Switch it up a little bit. Mm, that's an interesting one that I've not heard of before. And that might take some thinking. Uh, this This might be a misplaced thought, but most veteran DMs are forever DMs. Uh, so I have advice for forever DMs. Play games. And I know they, they probably want to play, but it's more important that you play because playing will make you a better DM. Uh, I, I ran Necrohunt for this one player, uh, Aaron, also goes by Yaro Shin, and he was a forever DM. And I noticed that some of his players that in the game that he was running were having a lot of issues, we'll say. And there, there seemed to be a divide between the feedback that they gave him and the vision he had for his game that he soon realized when he became a player and learned, oh, oh, I see. That, that's why my players wanted this, because now that I'm in this seat, it, it feels this way, you know? So... And that goes for players as well. This is feed, this is advice for players. Players DM because that will make you a better player. That will help you understand your DM better and make things easier on them. And and it can help and not feel so weird whenever you're like, I want to do X Y Z, and your DM kind of overcomplicates things. And you're like, Why though? Why are you overcomplicating this? It makes sense in my head, but when you're in the DM seat, it's like you get it. You know, you understand. It's it's cooperation. I like that. I think that's a really good. Uh... That's really good advice. Is there anything that you struggle with as a DM? Remembering things all the time. I'll try to implement like intertwining stories and plot threads and especially character stuff. If it's a player character thing, um, I sometimes am more biased towards some characters than others. I think we all are. And sometimes I'll... Un, I'll subconsciously leave others by the wayside and not give them all that much stuff. And sometimes just totally forget you know, I'll just forget a part of their backstory that might have been very, very important. But um, yeah, I think that's a deeper thing of like, I think I have ADHD. I, I'm seriously considering going to the doctor um, because every time I see a post on Twitter about a meme or a joke about ADHD, I'm like, this is getting scarily relatable. I think I might have it. I think I might have to go to the doctor. So it might just be an ADHD thing. It might just be because I'm bad at remembering things. Maybe I need to write down more stuff. But um, yeah, remembering plot threads, even ones that I wrote down. Oh, and also writing things down in general. I, I have so much things that are just caught up in my head that I should write down, but I'm like, ah, it'll be in my head. I'll remember. And then the session will be will end and I'll be like, oh, crap, I forgot to mention that thing. That's another one. Um, yeah, as far as being a DM goes, uh, there's just so many moving parts between like the rules and managing like the monsters. And the next thing that happens, it's really easy to misplace some of that information yeah um though i will agree mom my tiktok is determined that i have adhd as well so i mean <laughs> you might be onto something there I, i'm not I mean, exactly it doesn't hurt sure to try right the only thing that hurts <laughs> is my wallet is there anything else that you want to chat about before we wrap up hmm <laughs> trying to think a good dnd discussion because i i like asking like dnd questions that prompt thought. Um, mm, most smashable D&D villain. <laughs> Strahd is not... Strahd doesn't count. He looks too much like a dude. Strahd is cheating. Oh, man. Or uh, let's say D&D monster. Classic D&D Mon monster. It's most smashable D&D monster. And no, nothing humanoid either. Not, nothing humanoid? Nothing humanoid, because <laughs> that would be cheating. You just go crack open the... The monster manual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I would, much as the memes of, got it, after talking about being a bard. Dragons, you know, <laughs> I, I would say dragons, even though that's kind of a vanilla answer. Mostly just for the novelty and, and the, the street cred you would get that... You know, could you imagine? Like, it's no wonder so many people sleep with dragons. It's like, it's a mighty powerful creature that likely has control over some kind of element and a massive gold hoard. It's like, it's like sleeping with a celebrity. You know what? That is, that is fair. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why my mind didn't go to, to dragons. Um, well, I mean, owl bears is another good option. You know, owl big and bears. fluffy like bears. <laughs> they're, they're cute faces like owls. Mm. Gelatinous we, we... cube. You want to be hugged all over? 
<laughs> that one might not end super well. Well, no, none of them will end super <laughs> no, well, I don't that's imagine. That's true. That's true. Donkey from Shrek pulled it off, though, so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, Donkey pulled it off. Yeah. yeah my my knowledge of D&D, how about any of the um, the bird races, like Aarakocra? Or... Yeah, yeah I, I think they're human that, enough. This, this, this may be cheating a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, actually, I got a better question. Uh, aside from chest, what would be, uh, aside from a treasure chest, what would be another terrifying mimic? What would be a terrifying mimic d- kind of creature? Like, like if a mimic could take on another shape, what would be another terrifying thing that you hope would not be a mimic? I mean, I've seen like any, just about anything like common items in your household, but like specifically like a toilet would be very bad. I was just thinking toilet because that's <laughs> when you're most vulnerable. Yeah. Just like, just like walking into a house, uh, like, or like a bed or something even too, oh, right? Like mimic. just, oh man, just, especially in a, you know, in like a dungeon or something, you're probably at least like thinking, Hey, there could be a mimic in here, right? Like there's treasure <laughs> yeah. chests. We're going to be a little bit nervous, but like, if you walk into the tavern, uh, and, and sit then, on the like, chair and it suddenly has teeth. Right. Right. And mm. it would probably like, if you put your arms down, it would, just like wrap around your arms and pin you there yeah, and yeah yeah i don't know i think i could take on a chair mimic you know that would, especially that would if it's a... like those dank those dinky wooden chairs maybe that's optimistic maybe I, i'm probably not as strong as i think i am if it was like a big like a big nice like armchair oh no yeah i'd be dead <laughs> yeah it would it would like suck you in like like those big soft leathery seats like, there's no way you're getting out of those. There's no yep. way you're getting out of those, even if it wasn't a mimic. That thing is like quicksand made of comfort. Com- comfort. There's a new animation idea for you. That yeah. Make an animation of a uh, other of a mimics. Mimic. Mm. Yeah, those are the two, I guess. Just, I like prompting those fun discussions. That's good. That's good. That's more more difficult questions for me to answer than I've had on the on the episodes. So wonderful. Awesome. Well, Joe Kent, it was great having you on. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.